Is this Operation Chokepoint 2.0? The SEC is clamping down on crypto, it seems. In today's episode, we're going to explore the latest developments and ask some big questions about what the future may hold for crypto. Sam, great to be back. Hope you enjoyed your holiday. And here we are diving into a very serious subject on, uh, you know, what, what could ultimately radically alter the future for crypto. Good to have you back. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you come back to shenanigans. I've enjoyed a digital detox, which, again, is possible. You know, I have crypto holdings, but, you know, you can just cut off from the system and just uh, go in enjoying uh, simple pleasures, simple sun, simple salad, simple swimming. But, yeah, we come back to um, the drama, the shenanigans. And I always want to say, Dan, you know, it's nothing I haven't expected or been talking about for the last two years. So in a way, it's kind of it's not shocking to me. It's not that dramatic. It's a bit tedious and it's a bit just it just well, we're going to get into it. It brings up so many thoughts about the bigger picture, doesn't it? Um, but I think it's good just to look at what's going on, uh, why these moves are being made and why I, you know, why I found it so predictable. And so also, you know, I'm watching it. I'm interested, but I'm not tied up in the drama because it's nothing I didn't expect. I'm glad to hear that. I, I got a little tangled up on the drama and in preparation for this episode, obviously I've read some of the latest developments, but I also listened to heavy doses of Rage Against the Machine. Um, <laughs> and by the way, if they've, if they've gone off the boil in recent years, don't throw the baby out of the bathwater. Those songs. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's, it's almost triggered this anarchic teenage screw the system because it's it's what what i'm witnessing is this again centralization of power as we've witnessed in other areas in the last few years clamping down control mechanisms and i know we're going to get into all of that and we're going to we're going to look at uh what that all means in the context of this but i think given that we've started this episode really introducing two things chokehold operation chokehold 2.0 we're gonna have to give some context on what that means for those who, who, who don't know about what that is and of course we need to put the meat on the bones around what's happened with the SEC and the latest development. So Sam, do you want to kick us off? Give us an, give us an overview of uh, what we mean by Operation Choke Hold 2.0. Choke, sorry, choke, choke Point. Yeah, Choke, choke point, point 2.0. I mean, it's all choking. It's the same. It's, it's choking yes. either way. So so really, um, this looks like a second iteration. So we're calling it Choke Point 2.0 because this goes back to around 2012 where there's a similar thing going on. And it's really a clampdown on companies and businesses that were out of favour with the administration's, you know, viewpoint on on how the world should work, how the economy should work, and it's really about blocking those people's ability to bank. So in a sense, it's debanking those people, cutting them off, and that's the choking. You know, this idea of choking, and that was happening with um, all sorts of, uh, you know, business back back in that day. And again, it was confusing because it wasn't necessarily voted on. There's a lot of mysterious. Where did it come from? Was it really a democrat decision to have this? Was it FBI led? Was it Department of Justice led? So again, very shady. Um, and, and, you know, really uh, an attack on, and you know, kind of especially in America, breaking sort of constitutional rights of freedom to trade and, and, um, and be able to be banked, you know, and it sort of was a real overreach. And that's what we're seeing again coming into crypto, which is what I expected, which is really they're trying to control it as much as they want to do, clamp down on it. Um, and so what we see now is the Securities Exchange Commission, the SEC, SEC, looking at really going after these exchanges who are really functioning as the on-ramps into the crypto uh, space, enabling people to get their, you know, fiat currency out of the banks and into digital assets, you know, be it Bitcoin or, or the myriad of other digital assets. So this is going on and on, but it's it's always this mixed messaging, Dan. So, you know, the, the SEC have come to sue big players like Coinbase and Binance, arguably the two biggest exchanges in the world, and really go after them saying that, you know, what they've been doing 
is uh, trading, enabling trading in securities. So really, because the crypto market has been unregulated, there's always been this ongoing debate. Will the crypto, you know, when regulation comes, will it be judged as commodities, which means they don't need to uh, be traded by licensed brokers? Or do they fall under the category of, of um, securities? And again, there's a huge argument. It's very unclear. There's all these sort of Howey tests you can do. Does it qualify? I mean, it's again, it goes deep. But really, of course, they've come out and said, we, we you know, we're listing 61 of these cryptocurrencies and saying we think these are securities. Therefore, we're going to sue you for being an unlicensed broker. Okay, and what's interesting, they're attacking them during a bear market phase. That's the time they want to attack these institutions because, you know, they're pushed for money a lot more than in a, in a bull market phase. And really, it's another power ground, Dan. For me, it's about control and power. And the, the, the great, you know, kind of mixed messages you always see is, you know, the SEC going after Coinbase for being an unlicensed broker since 2019. That's what they're accusing me of. But we know the US government have been trading Bitcoin through Coinbase and, and interestingly, <laughs> yes. through Coinbase since 2019 themselves. Okay? Yeah. So, so it's always this mixed messaging, you know. Um, and, and so they're looking at saying that, you know, securities are financial instruments and they fall under a different regulation. And that goes for just trading them. And that also goes for certain services these platforms are offering, like staking, which is locking up your crypto, like a, um, you know, like you might do for an ISA kind of thing and getting some re revenue. So they're viewing that as a financial contract, therefore it's not a commodity. So they're really going after them in, in this mode. And obviously what that's, what that's meaning is that's really a lot of banks are stopping working with exchanges. They're struggling to function. So it's really squeezing what are called the on-ramps and off-ramps into the crypto space. And my thesis being they don't want people leaving their fiat currency, leaving that system. They want them to stay there to control them moving to CBDCs, the more people are coming this way, you know, they are looking at different options, different ways of storing their wealth, different ways of transacting, and they're cutting that off, you know, but what's, what's always interesting is at the same time, you know, it's not a ban on crypto. It's more, it seems like to me, much more attack on the smaller player, because mm -hmm. we see at the same time this is going on, the big players, you know, BlackRock are looking to launch an exchange traded fund, Bitcoin ETF, that's technically, but just, just think they're launching a crypto product. And they want to use Coinbase, okay? Yes. And at the same time, it's being sued by a BlackRock and bed with the SEC and the government. So it's all this mixed meshing is always Dan. And for me, it's much more about control than really about protecting small investors. Is what is, you know, which is the reason they use. So that's a kind of overview. We might get some more details, but that's. I mean, that's, that's a really, really great overview, Sam. And, and and again, it doesn't matter which direction you turn. We are seeing these mechanics, these dynamics, power dynamics playing out in almost every field. But we're also seeing the big industry, you know, the, the influence that like BlackRock will have over so many aspects of our lives. And we've discussed in other realms that, you know, really these these major institutions and the, and the groups they belong to have more influence than governments. And, yeah. um, you know, it's this is kind of the puppet and the puppet master. And it's it's really a, a difficult relationship. But at the same time, you know, I, I posted a tweet this morning saying, you know, how many of the crises of the world right now have actually been created by the established order and our relinquishment of responsibility to those establishments. So it's it's easy to look at the power structures and say, well, this isn't right. But we also have to look at ourselves and say, well, what, what's our relationship to this? Because your point around um, Operation Choke Point, and I think 
uh, apologies if I use the incorrect term, Operation Chokehold is almost a better, proper, better term for it, uh, representing what's actually going on. You're right. Where did that come from? You know, was it a lobby of the people saying, mm -hmm. well, we want to we want to rid our, our towns and cities and areas of these illicit businesses? Because, again, if we look at the nuance of it, if you look at Operation Checkpoint in its history, they did go after some illicit businesses that perhaps people wouldn't want um, trading. But again, as always, lots of gray areas yeah, yeah. And, and businesses they didn't like. And we're, see we're seeing that now. There's almost a war on natural therapies. And yeah. Um, you know, that's it, it, it may it may actually later be revealed that there's a there is an operation choke point two or two point on industry, but the similarities are certainly there. And and, and ultimately, yeah, and, and what we haven't mentioned yet is the Hinman documents, which, you know, paints a picture of the SEC um, interested in expanding its jurisdiction um, rather than fulfilling its, its supposed primary mission of protecting investors and what those documents uh show is that um, the SEC is, is clearly more concerned of expanding its own turf rather than its long-held mission uh, of kind of regulating the markets to protect investors, um, which ultimately is a reflection of an expansion of power. What a surprise, yeah. as you've touched upon. Um, you know, and the SEC has denied, like, its involvement in that specific speech, saying it's just him expressing his thoughts and his views alone, yet the documents tell a different story. You know, they show that the SEC officials were weighing in on the speech. It was quite clear um, uh, that the SEC was discredited in that document, and, uh, and it shows that they really have no idea what, what they're doing when it comes to regulating crypto, which brings me to my next point. You mentioned the Howie um yeah, which, which, you know, how he is from a, 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 a famous Supreme Court case in the 40s, which uh, ultimately created the regulation around this. There was a citrus farm in Florida, of all places, selling investment contracts without registering them as securities. And it, uh, the SEC claimed they're not actually, uh, uh, so, sorry, um, the farm claimed they weren't securities, but the SEC won the case. And that's how the Howey test was then set. But yeah, you know, when you actually go through the fine tooth comb of the Howey test, you can see, and we don't have to do that right now, but you can see that if you if you look it up, you can see why it's it's a blurred line. You can see why it's it, it it's not a simple case story. But the SEC, when you look at the Howey case, you you can't just blanket target all these um, yep. altcoins and exchanges uh, in the way that they are because it's it's not cut and dry. It's really not simple. In, no, in, we. It, and Dan, as I say, you've picked up that 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 grey area is such a control mechanism always, isn't it? Always. There's a lack of clarity. So people, you know, they know that people, once people, you don't know where you are yourself, and, so, you know, you will need honest business, even for some of the smaller crypto, um, you know, companies, startups who are looking to create really into projects, even with the best within the world and wanting to be compliant, they spend years in, in this grey area with all the stress and not knowing. And, and so that's where... It's much more a tool of control than really about helping people, and that's that's what you know gets us, you know, gets our goat up and gets that rage feeling. And certainly, I mean, we know this, but it's another iteration. It's such an overreach. There's no clarity, and I argue that's on purpose. And it's grey area. You don't know where it's come from, so there isn't there isn't that clear line of exactly. Let's like say, is it a democratic process? Did the people agree on this? It's come from all these agencies. You know, the strings are being pulled probably by bigger corporations, and you know, I think. Um, I was listening to somebody recently who gave a kind of nice simplification that, you know, if you have the governments controlling all the corporations, that's communism. Yeah. Once you have the corporations controlling the government and its institutions, that's fascism. Yeah. Right. 
and and that's what we're really seeing there that it's 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 a lot of these institutions are just puppets of the big power players and blackrock is a huge you know blackrock vanguard arguably own a huge portion of the world across all asset classes land i mean extraordinary reach yes um and you know those people are putting the pulling the strings and it's really about you know them using the governments using the regulators to their own advantage and it's really as we will say at the cost of the you know the people the man on the street you know and and their freedom of choice and their ability to maneuver and make changes so it's this it's this endless repeat of for your own safety for your own you know protection but actually it's a protection racket it's a completely yeah. different protection yeah and but this brings up so many different threads to explore i mean the gray area you mentioned it to be quite frank because of the innovative trailblazing nature of Bitcoin and everything that's followed, you can see why it's a gray area because, you know, it's, it's almost trying to say, well, it's like this, but it's not this. And it's since the beginning, it's not been clear, you know, how you classify these uh, digital assets, which makes it a gray area from the beginning. But the, the challenge with that then is you, and again, it's, this is again where I think it's, you're right, the institutions will utilize that to their advantage. But almost as an industry, if we look at the kind of if, if you don't want the state to play a role in your governance, then you have to become self-governing. And, and, you know, we've seen this with DAOs, you know, the DAOs offer that potential for self-governance. But almost as an industry, you know, it needs to, it needs to come together, in my view. And it, it may it may be it may be that this has happened informally in different ways. But in order in order to be treated as a different category, in order to be considered different differently to other securities, then there has to be some clarity of definition uh, under a new digital asset class because it is a new asset class. As we talked about in our workshops, you know, there are some, you, you can make some similarities with trading crypto as you can with trading stocks, but there are also many differences. Yep. And it's, it's understanding those differences and recognizing because there are those differences, it does create that gray area. So it, it does require definition. And if you leave it to the authorities, then they will ha happily try to bring clarity into the question into the equation for you so um it, it is to me an opportunity for the industry to to now take hold and say well and, and you know coinbase is standing strong you know that because because what we've seen is we've seen some of those altcoins delisted from some of the other exchanges which in a, in a way is like a self-protection mechanism to avoid um potential implications in the sec but you could say it's an admission of guilt and you're actually you're actually handing it on a platter to the SEC, but Coinbase hasn't done that. They're saying no, we we're standing on our guns, um, you know. And someone has to. And it's it's it's. I think the, the opportunity is now for for all of us in the industry and the big players to say, well, if the SEC are coming, well, then what's the best case scenario? Because the other big piece to this, Sam, is you know, as we know and have talked about in almost every episode, in terms of reaching mass adoption some form of taming of the wild west is required in order to to facilitate that adoption you know we can't just keep it as this little niche thing for those who like the convenience efficiency and liberty of, of what it brings you know so it's 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 such a complex story yeah yeah there, there are all these energies coming from different angles and you're absolutely right dan and, and i think i think you know you're you're right there is a genuine gray area because this is a paradigm shift yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's hard to get one's you know head around all the new ecosystems being built, how they function, the tokenomics. So th that is a genuine. You're right. Is a new area that is is unclear, 
But the grey area that comes to the top is not, is is the lack of clarity of discussion. Yeah. Because if, if everyone oh, yeah. sat down, if everyone sat down, and go well, this is a new paradigm shift. Let's talk about it. Since I mean, I'm talking about another world because that's not the world we live in. <laughs> yeah. But if 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 our world was you know organically and not have this sort of parasite class, it would be let's discuss that and see how this can benefit people and move forward. But what you haven't, what you've got is just these sudden announcements, and it's all behind closed doors, and it's different parties, you know, vying for control. So. You know, it's, it's people just waiting around for a certain confusing announcement, then another one, then some lawsuit. It's not about this collective discussion, is it? I mean, but we know that that's not what, what is going on in the world at the moment. You know, that's what we love. You know, how do we move forward? You know, what's best for everybody? So, yeah, it, and it's going to be so interesting to see how it goes. And I think they also want to keep the grey areas going because it gives them time. They're putting all their peace in place. That's what I'm seeing. That, you know, they they know, obviously, certain people, you know, there's this accusation thrown at some of the regulators, they don't understand crypto, and I'd agree, lots of them don't. I'd argue the bigger, you know, higher powers that pull in strings do understand where this is going, and they're using these puppets, and they want to get control. They want to keep as much of this pie as possible, which I've always talked about. They want to lock the small player out, because this paradigm shift is going to be a huge part of the new world and the new wealth um, kind of transfer. This is where a lot of wealth in the world is going to move in this digital asset space because it is a future eco, a huge ecosystem, the future kind of tech, you know, asset class. The top top people understand that. So all this mixed messaging of crypto doesn't need it; it's just a scam. As we know, we've covered that a lot. It's actually a tech sector that's huge and yes. is, is going to um, disrupt all industries across the world. And so the top people understand that, but you're not getting that messaging saying this is what's happening. We need to work out how's going to play. We're getting this mixed messaging of. You know, it's it's we, it's not needed. It's mostly a scam. We need to save you from it whilst the institutions are getting in place to control it as much as possible because they know it's big. If if they thought it wasn't a future, they wouldn't be, you know, positioning themselves. So, and again, this this spinning it out, this lack of clarity, in my view, is also they're spending time getting their piece in place. And I'd argue they want, you know, they want, particularly coming back to that kind of choking idea in this kind of financial reset period. They don't want people fleeing to other asset classes and getting creative. They want people where they can control them, which is in their fiat currency, in their banking system. And it's really interesting, Dan, I was listening on the on the flight home, I was listening to a, you know, one of my favorite podcasts, and it was getting into that gold thing. And I'd agree, there are signs everywhere that huge institutions and governments are stockpiling gold at the moment. Okay, taking large amounts of pressure metals off exchanges, they understand what's going on. But he's based in America, and you know, he said he's seen a proliferation of stories, as we see in crypto, which are putting people off gold, you know, and again, this is their use of the media thing. It's always the mixed messaging of yeah. we're doing this. We want to quiet this. We want to accumulate things at low levels and we want you to be scared out and, and, you know, make it hard for you. And also just to have doubts about it. And that's always, you know, that's why it's, it, that, that tool of the media is so powerful because, you know, the stories are nonsensical. It doesn't take much, but it, you know, it doesn't take much to get that emotion out there of, some story somebody bought gold and lost all their money somehow i mean it's a nonsense story but that's enough they know to you know put enough people off that to bring that fear in whilst they are busy accumulating these assets same time in crypto then a lot of you know retail investors get scared by what's going on understandably if you don't have constant your long-term investment thesis you may think i don't want to say this market there are lots of metrics we can see where big players in this actually interesting this last um Kind of dump the market had after this announcement because it was a you know a classic fud event lots of fear in the market so bitcoin took a bit of a plunge like the altcoins did but some of the on-chain metrics could see some of the largest wallets you know the big whales some of these yeah. blue chip altcoins 
they were increased. There was a huge move to increase their holdings over that time. So there, it's always that thing of like you know scaling the retail investors while the big players are accumulating at cheaper prices. So there's so much going on. There is so much going on, absolutely, and it's it's yeah, it's such a you know this is why we're calling it the Uncharted Territory podcast. It's literally yeah. evolving and emerging as as we witness all of this and trying to make sense of where it's going to go. There's almost an inevitability of some level of regulation. But uh, Mark Cuban weighed in on this one. And it's, Cuban's an interesting character because at the beginning of this whole emergence of crypto, uh, he was a vocal critic of Bitcoin and other forms of crypto. We now know he holds you know, a fairly decent chunk of crypto. And he's weighed in on the debate. And it's right, he's made some very valid points in the sense that when looking at regulation, you know, if you, if you treat uh, these assets as securities you know that's it's not just a definition it's 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 all the governance that comes with that you yeah. know as a as a company so when you're looking at yeah. stocks and shares and all the all the regulatory requirements that come with that you know if you're a fortune 100 company or an smp 500 company you know you have whole financial and legal teams to deal with all those regulatory and yeah. financial requirements yeah. but the fact that this is an emerging you know, again, to your point, and most people still don't get this, that they still don't understand that what this represents is an emerging asset. The asset, the emerging asset classes represent an emerging technology set for which the, the, the web, you know, most every digital web platform of the future will be based upon uh, and, and, and evolve from. But what that means is we, we're seeing very small teams, very small, almost startup, well, yeah, startups. And if, if every startup now in the US or the UK or any major economy had to go through major regulatory processes, it would seriously, it would seriously curb inflate, uh, innovation. You know, seri- yeah. It was such red tape burden. So you, it's again, that, that's another, I think it's a really important nuance because you can't tar everyone with the same brush. And that's the risk that's happening here. And, you know, the Howey test we've talked about, but I don't think it's even suitable to look at, you, you know, it's trying to fit a, round, a square peg into a round hole in, in many ways. Again, there are comparables. You could say you shave the edges off the, the square peg and it fits. But um, again, I think it's a whole new ballpark and it needs to be evaluated as such, because otherwise we will be stifling innovation and the growth of this market. And again, as you, as you touched upon, it will just be the big players dominating. And... Totally, Dan. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that because it's, it's can you afford the compliance? And this this makes a, and I'd argue, by design barrier to entry in the guise of it's protecting the consumer. But I've seen it in my own entrepreneurial time, Dan, in, in with, you know, doing some, I think businesses or being involved with businesses and seeing, you know, a lot of, you know, independent people trying to start things. And I've seen it. I've seen functioning businesses where the clients are super happy. The service is amazing. It's really small. But certain regulation, once you get to certain size, you cannot afford, literally your business model is finished. You cannot afford to comply with the regulations that are there to protect the customers. When there isn't a single customer has got an issue with this business, they're delighted, they love it. Yet the bigger companies giving a worse service and having lots of complaints, they are all compliant and they can afford it. So you're actually right, Dan, I've seen this so often. And it's so sad because it it kills a lot of startups. It, it kills a lot of real genuine small players who want to give amazing service. And it lends itself to the bigger players. So it is this guy's again of actually a bit of a closed shop. And that's what we could argue when we get into things, even looking at the dot com era, you know, yes, certain individual ideas came for that, but also there's a bit of a who's in the right club, who's got the money to make it, who's got yeah. the money to fight the right things, you know, and as we know, the big institutions become lawless because you think about big financial institutions the way they work, 
they've got so much money that they absolutely break all the rules because they've got money to pay the fines and it's part of their business model. So they literally don't have to be compliant because they've actually budgeted in. They've got so much revenue. They've got to that size where they can literally, a budget, say, yeah, we're going to pay all those fines. We never put up business. So this is, again, what's really sad is, you know, from a, you know, from a people's perspective of, of where can you get real organic growth? And again, yeah. it's that same use of it's to protect the consumer, but actually is it to protect the monopolies and to protect the big players and, and make it a bit of a closed shop. And you're upside down. That's, that's the big threat to a lot of really genuine um, small startup crypto projects looking at disrupting industries and, and creating more decentralized options. Can they be compliant? Yeah. You know, even even financially. And, and that's the real that's the real sad thing that we've seen over and over again. And I think that's what we're going to see as well in this market. And again, the, the big players who are in bed with all the big institutions will be able to come through and they know that. Yeah. And, that, and that, that would be a real shame for the industry, because you go back to the early days of the dot com, you know, it wasn't you know, it was this great. Again, we saw a lot of the utopianism of today that we're seeing in this industry, which is that it's a, this ra radical decentralization. And it has, you know, it has liberated information. I mean, look at how much information yeah. is at our fingertips now, you know. But, but, and again, of course, because of the craziness of that time, you know, there's just, there was, the, you know, all the same conversations we're having now about the regulating of that industry. It's, it's, it, it is fascinating, but it poses a question for me because I know there are, there are binaries in this conversation around governance and whether, you know, you know, the purists in the market, and I resonate with their perspective of self-governance and what this represents, you know, what decentralized finance represents, what this decentralized technology represents. We've seen self-governance you know, self with the DAOs that we've talked about in other episodes and how they operate. Um, so the question would be, you know, what is the alternative? If there is no, you know, it, in the absence of, you know, SECs, the United States, and the other point on this, Sam, is actually, we'll come to this, is like, these are global, pro we, we live in a global world now. You know, it's yeah. not like Bitcoin is an American asset. Might be, in my mind, where did it start? Who knows? But but it doesn't belong, you know, it's not like we're an Amer all American company. Therefore, we're going to be regulated by America. So we, we've now got this global situation with every everyone's the focus on the sec but what's what's the uk going to do what's the yep. what's europe going to do what's south america going to do what's asia going to do we'll come to that in a minute but um uh where was i where was i previously before i diverted down that train <laughs> <laughs> well we talk about the, the the yeah the startups in the dot-com era and the struggle with compliance ah, and, the alternative yeah. what's the alternative yeah. in the absence of in the absence of sec regulation thank you you know, what would self-governance look like? So if, if, if what's the alternative? And, and, and again, it's, you know, I've been in the activist space now for a few years and, you know, there's a lot of angst towards the government and, you know, people wanting to deconstruct, you know, a lot of people want to just, uh, uh, you know, abolish government, uh, but, but others want to reform it. But the, the question is, if you abolish or you reform, what's the alternative? You know, what is the alternative? So what would self-governance look like within this industry? You know, what is the what is the way that you would pioneer a different way to solve the, the problems? Because there are problems. Right. The fact that it is the Wild West still, it means that there are scams. It means there are, you know, assets with no future of utility whatsoever that are being pumped and dumped. People are losing money, making money. Um, you, you could argue from a kind of libertarian perspective that that's freedom and that, you know, yeah. 
the, the price you pay for that is the potential risk. And I can see that perspective. But the other perspective around this is, you know, how, how would you self-organize? Now, think about my own street here. You know, we have a local council. We have um, obviously the national government. And then we've got kind of intergovernmental organizations at the global scale at various different levels. But if we were to self-organize here locally and, you know, there was some bad actors on the street, we'd have to figure out how we confront those individuals, how we um, reprimand, if you will, and how we would then, you know, restore harmony in the community. And we could do that on a community level. We could we could do that. We could set our own, you know, come to our own standards. We could agree those kind of agreed norms. But then what happens to the street over the road? You know, how do they de deal things differently? And and that's, it, it's, it's a level of subsidiarity, you know, because we live in such a densely populated world now, and, and you know, we're not living in kind of feudal times and small communities. We're living in much bigger congregations at the local, regional, national level. You know, these inefficiencies in, um, you know, I might get attacked by <laughs> some of the uh, more libertarian anarchic minds on this one. It, it, I would see there's potential inefficiencies in that self-governance model. So having a degree of centralization where there is, but but the, that, that centralization wouldn't come from someone outside of this area coming in and saying, this is how you're going to do it from now on. Mm. You know, it would have to be within the, the ordinance of self, within the self-organization coming together to actually agree Coming to the table to say, well, how are we gonna? How are we gonna? How are we gonna deal with this? And that, I suppose, leans into what I was saying previously about the industry coming to the table. But, but as you alluded to, the idea that the, the people, the industry, can actually meet and say, this is this is what we're proposing, and then have that accepted by the authorities who we supposedly elected yeah. is highly unlikely. So it's this is where I get a real beer in my bonnet about it because we've divert we've we've. We've divested so much of our authority and responsibility to central organizations, which have given themselves their own mandate, because in my view, no one in the public is saying, clamoring, you know, clamoring at the government door saying, please regulate this industry. So it comes full circle to this is about the SEC taking control mm. and, and the increasing centralization of power. But my question is, what's the alternative? You know, I, I don't, I don't really have any concrete ideas on that, and I think that's a problem for all of us. Oh, it is a problem though, because the answers aren't simple, and they're, they're <laughs> not. It's, it's so it's not a simple, you know, it's not a simple binary fight of being against that and know what you want to replace it. It's that's really the unknown, and that's that's. And I think, uh, I think this comes down to bigger philosophical points of, you know, how much do you want the idea of this illusion of safety or security? Yeah. I always argue it doesn't exist. And that in a more visceral male life, you, you're much more aware of that, and that's fine. But again, you know, I'd argue they have got lots of people, and again, probably by design, to a level of wanting that visceral feeling of safety and security. Therefore, they are arguing for more protection from the state. You know, this is this problem of going, I agree, Dan. It's almost like your point about the scams and all that. Well, maybe you, if in a kind of freedom level, you'd need people to go through all that and learn that there are all these scams, and that's that's the risk of life. And rather than to protect them from it being happening. Because I always say, you know, part of life's journey is not getting, you know, not banning the existence of tricksters or scammers. It's you growing to grow out of being tricked or scammed. Yes. I suppose, I suppose and it brings up this bigger idea down that actually the path to that 
society you're talking about building goes through real some really challenging potentially chaotic times whatever that people would be very scared of and unsure about but perhaps that's what's needed to get there you know and and so it's it's a roadmap full of uncertainty and security and but maybe that's what's needed to get to people growing up and taking responsibility again so it isn't this one step you go well, that's what we want we don't want that it's this journey and and it's a it's not a path that most people have been considered walking or, or I mean, it's so unknown, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, it is. And this is one of those, it's, it is a philosophical discussion and, and it'll take the world of free speech. It, it's often, it creates counterintuitive outcomes. So this idea that there's all this hate speech and misinformation online right now, and you've literally now got the UN really like partnering with global governments and uh, nation, nation, nation states and, Tech, big tech to try and clamp down on misinformation and hate speech. Both concepts are in completely subjective territory, but it's again that regulatory censorship for your safety. Um, but most of the things they're trying to regulate are the things that actually threaten the status quo. It's yeah. a self-preservation mechanism. But counterintuitively, what happens is, and we've there's there's studies on this that show that when you start to suppress free speech, when you start to bring in censorship. It actually creates more hate speech. It actually creates more bad information. It has the counter. It has the direct opposite result. And uh, despite this being a known concept, we see we'll see this in almost every area where you overregulate. There's an overcompensation in in a direction that you that you're trying to solve. Uh, and you know, there's the uh, American book called "The Coddling of the American Mind" by Jonathan Haidt, and they were trying to reduce. Um, the, the amount of people with peanut allergies because there was there was some problems with young children who were having these major allergies in school. So they banned peanuts in school, you know, to, to thinking that you know, removing that would remove the problem. We we'll take peanuts out of the equation, we won't have these uh, you know these these episodes of peanut allergies. What ended up happening by doing that is it actually created more people who had peanut allergies because they just simply weren't exposed to it. So people weren't building the kind of resistance to the possible allergens. So again, it's a classic case of intent and, and uh, means in in discord and unintentional consequences. You know, you know. I know there's plenty of things we could say there are intentional consequences, but I would be highly skeptical if they're intentionally trying to get more peanut allergies. I mean, you'd have to really be in a like dark place to think. Or maybe you know some people are like, well that is probably what they're doing Dan. it's depopulation it's well, like Dan, I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna go to the rabbit hogs another one but you know i've <laughs> yeah, I yeah, found, yeah. i found it interesting that there's a there seems to be quite a strong link between this nut allergy and a peanut compound that was in some early vaccines oh of course <laughs> there we so go. again so it's not good like always on everything there is a cause and effect it's not just coming yes. from lower. there is a reason so but we'll leave that rabbit hole for we'll now. Leave that one for another one but yeah, yeah Dan, okay. i think I, I think your point's really interesting that it it's not allowing again this gets really possible but organic growth is gonna be mess not messier but it, it's this idea of, of a controlled growth that we're going to try and lead this rather than see where things go naturally and i think that's that point interesting if you if you let systems grow naturally how does that play out rather than trying to control it and you know stifle it and then you get actually like you said some things get pushed more underground get more extreme you know when in, when when a lot of these things are expressed, then actually it becomes more subversive. You know, you see it in terms of, you know, societies where they really go hard on certain things and it, they have a real sort of underground, you know, whether it's an alcohol problem or 
things behind closed doors that aren't discussed. So it is, it, it is this kind of control. I'm, 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 it's getting quite intangible, these ideas, but how much we're fearful of, you know, things evolving in quite a organic, uncontrollable way. That's quite <laughs> scary to people, you know, and, and, but is that because we got so used to quite a, you know, comfy society at some level? I always, I, I view it quite, it's a bit of a slavery system of prison, but it's, they've made it comfortable for people. And, you know, as we talked about the past sort of freedom and, and it evolving organically, whatever is a lot less secure, but you know, that's where that's that kind of way up, you know, and, and people trade, you know, uh, freedom for security or perceived security. But I'd always argue that security doesn't really exist anyway. And real freedom goes beyond that. But that's a kind of philosophical mindset that it is. It's such, I mean, this we, yeah, there's so many rich perspectives on this. And it's the, you know, if we were to allow something to organically follow its own natural courses, how long would it be before rules and regulations come in anyway? Because it's the classic, as we touched upon in previous episodes, you know, one, just one person can spoil it for the rest of mm. the rest of us. You know, it's like once there is one deviation from the norms and then that a rule is put in place, a mandate or a restriction or a regulation, that all of a sudden that is designed to deter other people from doing the same thing. And you could argue that it may have that effect for some, but it may also have the, you know, the, the, the reverse effect. So it's, 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 it is complex. Yeah. And <laughs> um, it brings up that, that question to me of what, you know, going back to that idea of tribes and, and at what point does it tip into something that doesn't function so well as a community or as a tribe, you know, mm. tipping point that it self polices very well up to a certain number. And then you go beyond that number, and it becomes unwieldy and difficult. So there's so many interesting sort of socio factors involved in human behavior. And I think, you know, I've, I think I've seen it even on discuss on sort of telegram groups as they grew, you know, or sort of freedom groups that again, without any rules, it work often worked up to a certain numbers. And again, without, it's not blaming anybody, but it's interesting after, after a certain growth period, it tends to become more fractured, fractured, yeah. harder to, and again, that's something just energetically or maybe built into the nature of numbers or, you know, harmony that that's not because a certain character came in later, it just seems to work at certain numbers or be manageable between the group. And then it becomes unwieldy and breaks down. So, yeah, that's an interesting thing to consider. And, and, and like you said, Dan, that we've moved, you know, much more into these cities, a lot of people. And again, a lot of that could be agenda driven. They want people in these big conurbations that causes different problems from being communities that can more you know, self-police, you know, and, and I've obviously like you have traveled and seen places that much, much more do that. And, mm. and again, having rule, you know, rules, regulations, or, or not even rules, regulations, or ways of being that are in tune with that environment and that kind of world, rather than it being this blanket thing. I, mean, I think we saw that with the whole spread of the EU, you know, that's one rule for all these countries with completely different qualities and different industries and different ways of life, you know, trying to put a blanket thing across it and not taking into account you know, the local um, way of life or, or what's important. So, you know, that not respecting, I suppose that's interesting, respecting sovereignty, but respecting sovereignty of groups either, or mm. kind of places or different traditions. So, yeah, how, 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 how to move back towards more of that whilst staying connected, whatever. Again, this is an argument for people, Dan, that we have like, some people want to go into small pockets off grid and I support that. Some people want to stay connected on the bigger world. You know, it's, and again, it's, it's fascinating because so many these things get polarized. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine recently about this, that so, so much the division is caused by these really strong viral videos of these kind of things going on. 
but it's not often something you've actually seen in your local community. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. It, and it can actually accentuate the idea. And the argument is that some sometimes the powers be are actually pushing that because they want you to be. Oh my God, this is happening in division. But how much has it actually happened on your street in your community? And and if it did, you know, how did it play out? So again, this and this uh, this you know lends itself to the idea of how bizarre it is to have so much info and you know the power of the internet and takes us out of our local standing. You know, and I know it like you, Dan. You had a bit of a break yourself not long ago. I took 10 days where I completely, you know, digital detox out of it, you know, and so much of that noise quietens down so many of those things that, you know, even as somebody's aware that these agendas and I need to just come back to myself, you carry around a lot of this info. And when you come off for, you know, 10 days, you can get much more present into really what's going around. And so, yeah, we're drowning in info and that's challenging as a human just to, to be with. You know? Yeah. Drowning in info, but starving for wisdom. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. really, I mean, we've we've gone to a level of abstract as always. <laughs> we've seemed out right outside of SEC. What's that feeling of feeling choked down and wanting to get you know expand yeah. things and feel you know what's outside of that kind of choking, constricting? Yeah, you know, compliance. And it, I, I, it comes back to my entrepreneurial experience, Dan. I saw it. I tell you what, a great example was. I was really frustrated because I was, I was in involved in kind of little travel businesses and, and things in the Alps when I lived out there and really created people doing small startups. And a lot of those, you know, couldn't continue because of this compliance thing, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the big, the big tour operators could afford to have these huge bonds with apps that you just couldn't do it. So you had an amazing, people had amazing little business models, you know, independent chalets running things, clients happy, but they could not comply with certain regulations. And I remember during this time, then going to Thailand, and what I loved seeing was that everybody, you know, just their front room was a restaurant and a travel agent and a shop, and it could be whatever it wanted to be, and you could buy it. They didn't have to be a license, this or that, and it worked. And I just, I had that real yearning for that simplicity, Dan, because it's almost like so much this compliance, it chokes the creativity. You know, that's what I think is really sad in terms of, you know, people creating innovations that you see so many people with startups who have passionate have really creative ideas and they actually end up getting bogged down in, a, in administration and compliance and stuff that's not their skill set and it actually ends their business definitely you know, well, or, or, or even takes away from their product because actually their energy is so drained and i think some of that's you know some of that's become organic but a lot of that's built in the system and that really that really gets me because i i saw that and i had a real yearning to think you know i've got these happy you know i know people got great clients in thailand we don't need them to be regulated we're quite happy dealing with that level. And I, I could see that contrast even then, Dan, which is often we talk about going back to the kind of less developed countries and thinking, God, that's how I'd want to much more, you know, operate, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've got a real example here in Bournemouth. We moved here in January and uh, I love being by the coast and I've been looking for kind of the, the cafes, the restaurants and places on the, on the seafront. Cause I just, you know, I love to go and kind of work with the water in sight really kind of grounds me and that I discovered this amazing what looked like an amazing spot right on the ocean front um you know it was like listed in the like top five like oceanfront restaurant bars and I looked it up uh, to go find where it was located and it, it's gone it's closed down it opened and it was closed within three weeks because the local authorities placed so many regulations nice. on the business and they, they invested yeah. all this money in building the thing but it was like in order to prevent like drunken disorderly behavior, you could only have like this amount yes. of people at the table for this amount of time. You can only have yes. this type of drink. 
and there was just and they had like they were being inspected constantly and uh, and the staff kept forgetting like what they were and weren't allowed to do the inspectors were constantly looking over their shoulders so they were just like this is too stressful we can't yeah. we can't we can't keep up with this so the business went they closed yeah. up they yeah. they disappeared after three weeks yeah um because of this like safety culture and you know it's not to deny that you know, Bournemouth has a bit of a party culture in the, in the, in the town centre, you know, but again, that comes back to like, how do we as a community deal with that problem? We don't want to initiate the issue as individuals. We want to delegate that problem because it's too complicated, but it is complex and complicated. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the um, camp out event that we're running, the camp out gathering that we're running in August, hopefully you'll be speaking at um, with us in, in, in Brazers Park in Oxfordshire in August, but that is an intentional community. That, that, that lives there there's there's a number of people as an intentional community in the manor we've got the big uh, grounds and you know we've, we've met them several times and we've heard all of the struggles you know it's again mm. that they, they, they are coming together to live together and work together and it's just complicated human beings yeah. our relationships with one another how we come to agreement disagreement how we remain democratic how we avoid like the madness of crowds in a democratic yeah. process like, it's so complicated so I know we've zoomed out from like the SEC, but I think it is important because we've got to understand it's not just about like crypto being regulated. It's about our entire conversation about how we organize ourselves going forward, because yes. what's happened is this. This is another example of a centralization of power and control, which is causing this innate reaction in us. Yeah. Um, but it's the overreach, it, Dan, across the board. Overreach. And overreach. I love your, your Bournemouth stories made me straight off think about the film Minority Report. Okay, yeah. this idea this idea of pre-crime because yeah. in a sense right let's yes. look at that restaurant what from the sounds of it you're talking about people who want to create a really good project with ethos really passionate now they've got they understand where they come from the regulations but really what would be and you know they almost punishing them before anything's happened there yes so if yes. these regulations yes. are, to, are to stop certain things happening well they're punishing them. nothing's happened in this place my the more sort of natural way would be let this company start up if then they get endless fights or problems, well, then they need then you need to look at their system and come in and police it at that point. But the problem is they're stifling businesses that, and, and as we know, life's much less binary than these rules. If this, and again, I'm just, I don't know these people, but I just want to use an example because I think it could be a good one, is that if they've got an amazing ethos, amazing project, good energy, they probably won't have lots of problems there <laughs> yes, in terms of yes. antisocial behaviour because that comes from the energy of a good place and creative startups. If they did, then you come and look at it and go, there's a problem. But they are being punished for pre, it's almost this pre-crime. So mm. you can't do anything in case, in case, in case. And I've seen business, same Dan, where I you know, lived in France and seen bars that couldn't comply with even, you know, ideas that are, that are about inclusivity and, and are useful, like disabled toilets. And again, I understand that's important and access, but it's gone too far. There are certain places where, like they said, you have to have, you know, this, and it costs you this. And there's also, you've got to go by there. You know, this again, is a, it's an indirect taxation. You can't do it on the free market bill that you have to use our people. And, you know, really being put out of business by these, there hasn't been a complaint or a problem from the, there hasn't been an issue from, you know, a disabled person hasn't made this, you know, uh, complaint against this place that hasn't got this. It's just accepts that certain places can't, but this kind of overreach that everything has to be binary like that. And we don't judge it on a case by case basis. And, you know, complying to things that have never been an issue in certain places. And so, yeah, it's stifling so many things. And it's so sad to see. I've seen it so much. I'm sure you have created things and even ideas myself that I've had. I thought I'd loved it. And you just almost the energy comes out of you. 
yeah. when you start looking at the practicalities in, in the structure we have now and this overreach across the board trying to create and again the arguments they're trying to create safe society i'd argue they're trying to create a very controlled society and keep hold of power yes. but it's the overreach across the board which is just overwhelming and, and lends us that feeling of get us out of this choke <laughs> yeah exactly and it's the ever it's the ever expanding mandate that, that that is self-imposed you know it's, it's that's where the overreach comes from it's not it's not from consumer demand exactly that's the that's the key difference is it is it really consumers saying we need this sorted out that's my always point it's always it doesn't seem to happen like that very often it's usually coming from the top down yeah and it's that pre-crime idea and again you know why not why not why not why not focus on the bad actors rather than the whole you know it's yeah. Uh, but yeah this has been expansive so let's summarize <laughs> why do we have this conversation today um operation chokehold to uh, choke point <laughs> 2.0 we've, we've taken on the chokehold piece because of the nature of it um we we, we uh, you know we don't have any insight on this being actually being <laughs> operation choke point 2.0 we're making the comparisons but sam summarize what what's been happening again just to close us up you, you know what we've covered in this conversation yeah, so just looking again at the uh, what I view as the institutions trying to take as much control of this emerging space. It's like everything, you know, the shifts happen, Dan. And I always talk about the cycles, you know, this is a definite paradigm shift. It's not they're going to try and ban crypto or do it. They just want to control these shifts as much as they can. It's a power grab, you know, and the argument actually, you know, I, I think that it's about controlling these exchanges, not about destroying them. It's about, you know, people, big players, like we see in the banking thing, it's about, you know, more of these issues come into smaller number of hands, you know, big players like JP Morgan are circling Coinbase at the moment. So again, it's the same thing we're seeing, which is consolidation of power. And it's not about banning crypto or anything. It's, it's about trying to keep as much of the pie themselves. And I'd argue that they want to spin this out because they want a worldwide taxation and regulation system at some level. Yeah, there might be some differences. So they can really keep as much of this pie themselves. And, and what's sad about it is, is really at the detriment to smaller players coming in this market and doing well themselves. And so that's the kind of narrative which I've been talking about for the last two years and I'm just seeing play out, which is why it's dramatic at some level, but it's no surprise to me. And I think always keep your cool through it. Understand what's going on. Don't let your emotions get pulled around it because it's quite a predictable roadmap, as depressing as it is in the way they play the games. It's also quite predictable, a bit, a bit sad. But um, that's what's playing out. It's going to continue. Um, and we just got, like I said, we're in uncharted territory, we've got to monitor it, you know. And But I said, you know, this is not the end of crypto or this is not a tag of crypto. It's more really the big players trying to control things. And again, it's this mixed messaging down, which is always important to see. It. They're talking about, you know, often the crypto scams or whatever, but they're busily, quietly amassing the really strong assets. So if you hold really strong assets, you're confident, don't be scared by that. You know, the big boys are also accumulating. They understand this is a <laughs> yes. huge... And again, it's that double-edged sword of, you know, regulation at some level and that clarity when it comes will take this market to the next level. Yes. It's that double-edged sword is going to control it more, which, you know, I'm not necessarily for, you know, those those controls. The other aspect is that is what's going to lead to huge growth in this market over the next five, 10 years onwards. Yeah, and that's why when you look back to the dot-com era and you see the, you know, early spikes in some of the stock prices of the big, the, the big companies of today, that turbulence that was experienced early on after the dot-com crash, absolutely right. That, you know, technology enabled a whole new wave. Uh, you know, some of the regulations that came in at that time also enabled a whole new wave. And it's, that's, 
that's what we're facing. I think that's an important point. Now, we've gone from a, you know, looking at the um, the, pra the practical nature of the SEC um, um, moves at the moment to, to like a level of abstraction that saw, you know, big questions around, uh, evaluating big questions around how we live our lives, society, culture. So the big question I have, Sam, in closing this is, because when we, when we look at it in, in that vast way, it leads to big questions around what can we do? And, you know, when, when we ask that question, even then it's like, well, how do we live our lives? And that's, you know, that's it. what, but what are some of the things that people can do right now if, they, if they're concerned about this trend? You know, you know, I'm thinking along with myself, I'm thinking, okay, if we, if we, if we know this, this is actually all part of the journey and that we have this long-term prognosis it may deter people from entering into the market when actually right now, and we're in a bear market, so it's it's a time to accumulate, in my view. What are simple actions that people can take to, as a result of listening to today's episode? Yeah, well, I think it, it shines a light on that you have to be able to pivot and be curious and learn, and that there will always be ways. It's always about corralling the people who, who just hear the headlines, who don't do the deeper research, you know, because in terms of them like, shutting down different on-ramps, some people might read that and think, well, isn't, I can't get crypto now. But that's not true at all. There are loads of functions, always change. There are always ways. It's often they're putting putting off people who haven't got educated, who haven't learned. And so really, if you're keen on saying this, this is, this is the best times to learn about crypto. Because what will happen is when things get really exciting and you know we get into bull markets, that's when people will rush and think, I want to learn, not understand, and come in late to a market. You'd always say a lot of money is made actually in these times, you know, people think money's made in bull markets, actually made by accumulating in bear markets, and then you're ready to take simple actions in the bull market. So, and, I, and this goes for anything, Dan, is getting out the noise, getting good education, learning, you know, and not getting too hooked in the drama, just quietly finding the good balance information and improving your situation. Always talk about, we talk about in any level of decentralized, if you're, you start to take more control, you know, you've got some more assets in your control, whether they're crypto assets, whether you've got some, you've got some cash out of the bank in your control, you've got some physical metals. So it's always, I think, taking small steps to improve your situation each time. And again, getting out of, of just being sucked into the drama of the news, because that will go on and it'll continue. But while that's going, the people who are making moves are moving forward regardless. And I think that's what's really important is that they can't stop you moving forward if you're somebody who pivots and learns and, and gets creative they want you to be just you know consumed by that and, and paralyzed so keep taking taking steps forward educate yourself in the areas you want to because you just feel better when you've improved your situation even in a small way and you know more than you did yesterday and i think that's that's the big part of taking your power back so find the steps to resonate you if you want to look at certain asset classes begin that find good resources i mean you listen to this hopefully you find this a good resource give you a good overview and really yeah don't get too caught up in the drama is always what i'd say yeah and last night as part of the navigating the financial reset um group program we were looking at the basics of understanding charts you know the simple financial charts that you know we, we see within crypto stocks and shares commodities precious metals everything and a big part of that discussion was around the the, the what what makes the market move and you know a component of that that we looked at was this fear and greed and right now you know in the crypto space because of everything we've talked about today there's a 
there's an edging towards that fear because there's a fear and uncertainty and doubt about the, what the future may hold as a result of this. It hasn't gone like up the scale and you can literally, you know, there are, if you go onto the web and type in fear and greed index, you can find fear and greed index for various different asset classes. And we were looking last night, it's, you know, it's, it's moved from neutral into the fear territory. Um, but again, that's where people tend to hold back. They don't enter into the market at that time yeah. or, or people sell assets at that time. And you know, brings us or reinforces the kind of bear bear market but you know we've got a growing group working with us but you know as soon as the greed index switches from fear to greed boom I, you know people will be flooding to the to, to, to learn about how to enter into the market now is the time to enter into the market in these times so you know to me the simple the simple action that one can do today is if you are curious about digital assets and crypto you know, you might seem intimidated now because of this conversation. You're concerned about what the role that regulation can ultimately have. Sam and I both take a long-term view on this. And in fact, last night's workshop, we cautioned that when you start looking at charts, you can enter into that trader mindset. And we're not here to talk about trading. We're here to talk about long-term investing and the fundamentals. And by doing that and looking beyond this turbulence, looking beyond these, these moments of time and seeing the underlying application of these technologies in the future and what what that will bring okay you know there would have been people back in the 90s and the early early stages of the dot-com bubble who would have said apple amazon you've got to check out these companies but there would have been people looking at other companies that just flatlined and went nowhere we're in the same space we've got to have the sermon we've got to learn the fundamentals as well as understanding the kind of the detail of what's happening right now and but by focusing on that fundamentals what's going on in the world What's the practical application of these different assets? That then can enable you to say, I've got an entry point and I'm going to take action and I'm going to, I'm going to enter into this market. Because to me, that's one of the best ways that you can support this journey. Because um, there's a notion that I shared. We, we ran a workshop called um, How to Build Free Societies outside, outside of this within the Elevate uh, platform. And one of the strategies I described was tactical withdrawal. And that's tactically withdrawing from the legacy systems. And we're at a point in history where you've got a choice. You can continue to support the kind of classic fiat systems and the mega banking corporations, or you can look at this world of decentralized finance and the, the digital assets that come with it. But with that comes, because of the stage we're at and its evolution, is a degree of complexity. In the future, everything will be much simpler. That's, it's, 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 it's a guaranteed outcome, near guaranteed. So as Sam said, educating yourself right now, you know, that to me is the practical answer. Follow this podcast, make sure you subscribe. But if you'd like additional support from us, you know, I talked about the Navigating the Financial Reset Program. We have a monthly support program for those people who are looking to, to be able to get practical hands-on support with actually getting into the ecosystem, making your first investments. It's clearly not financial advice. We're not there with stock, you know, crypto of the week and, you know, saying, chuck your money into this thing, you know, you'll find those things out there. That's not our job to do that. We're trying to empower you with the mindset tools and strategies so that you can become informed and make your own decisions. But as a really good starting point, if you're asking yourself, what can I do right now to educate myself? Start with the Navigating the Digital Assets program, which is a three-part program that Sam recorded last year. It's an immensely popular program. Nearly 500 people have gone through that program now. Self-study over three modules will take no more than three hours to go through to get a really clear understanding of everything we're talking about here. Because if you're watching this out of curiosity and you're thinking, what can I do? Educate, 
and then act because that's what it's all about making the first moves and and um you know what you're in the market then that's how you're 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 actually supporting this journey you know again not to confuse when you're buying into a crypto it's not like buying and buying stocks and shares where you're literally buying a share of a company where you're you know profit from the upside but in a way by purchasing the assets that you're interested in that you think have long-term potential the way you gain is by the long-term growth and we're in that bear market now where prices are you know lower than they will be in a bull market um so now is the time to get educated don't wait for the greed index to kick up and, and fly in because that's when everyone like we saw during the massive bull run with the with bitcoin when the prices were spiraling that's when everyone was like oh my god oh my god but that's also where people made crazy decisions and lost money so yep. now yep. is and, the time. And it's important to know then that the, the, this is this is the accumulation phase where all the you know the clued up players and the big players they're accumulating assets absolutely quietly and that's you know it gets very technical but you can almost see that in the charts in analysis mm -hmm. they're accumulating at these low levels and again they'll allow the hype to get out there and, they, and they'll push that greed and hype you know they, that's that they always want people to believe in a low don't get in it's going to zero which is not true and they want to they want to suck people in at the highs because that's them taking profits themselves yes okay so the big players will absolutely push that narrative and, and flip it and they'll absolutely say yeah absolutely bring more money in because that's them looking to take profits from those who are coming to the market so again doing the opposite of the herd you know and we've seen it even recently that if people you know the kind of scariest event in crypto in the last year was maybe the ftx collapse you know an inside job after we discussed it in one of our shows but you know if you bought that fear on that day you bought bitcoin there you know you would you'd have a couple of months doubled your money you yeah. know it was at fifteen thousand dollars and it went up to thirty thousand dollars you know in in that period after that so again it just shows buy the fear sell the greed that's that's how the smart money plays these markets and understanding the psychology and understanding that absolutely actually money is made in these times it's realized yes. in those times but actually this is where the money is made in these times and, and to me the concluding point on this again we've talked about power dynamics within this conversation and it's easy to point fingers and say that you know there's these centralized powers and these big corporations that run the world and whilst that may be true right now we see that power so by actually learning the strategies you know because as i said the smart money is right now is an accumulating phase you know the, the, the less smart money, I won't call it stupid money, that's, <laughs> but we'll see those crazy decisions being made once it enters into the greed market. Again, now is the time to learn. So if you're interested in checking out um, our support programs, you can just go to weareelevate.org forward slash reset and you'll find out about both the Navigating the Digital Assets program that I talked about, the self-study program, which is an amazing introduction to the fundamentals, the good, bad and the ugly. Even if you have no intention of entering the market, at least you're educated. And then you've got the, the Navigate the Financial Reset Program, which is a group monthly program. We meet twice a month to give you hands-on practical support uh, and help you on your journey. So those are tools that are there for you. Um, if, if you're interested, check them out. We are elevate.org forward slash reset. If you found this conversation interesting and useful, please let us know in the comments your feedback and hit that share button because, um, you know, this is a relatively niche topic right now. But uh, in, in the, at this moment in time, it's really important that we start to educate ourselves. We're at the... We're at the beginning of a really interesting journey uh, and if you're watching this you're part of that journey now but take the step take the next step and and enter into enter into the market enter into the ecosystem make some decisions now that can impact your future uh, that would be my closing message about how we take all of this madness that uh, sam's come back on holiday from <laughs> and actually uh take take the power into your own hands
totally and the more knowledge you get the more grounded you can be amongst the noise and that's critical because that's your real empowerment and solid grounding absolutely yeah and you can see that from sam i'm a bit more hectic <laughs> over caffeinated red-headed scorpio over here um but but within that you're absolutely right the education is what gives knowledge is power and well, knowledge is potential power when you apply it that's the key that's what we're talking yeah. about here getting educated first but then becoming educated is, is the first step towards empowerment and when you're empowered and you break free from fear and find that courage that's when you act and that's when that's when you're really moving from knowledge to wisdom as we said earlier on we're drowning in knowledge there's all kinds of information everything you ever need is available on the web for free but what is it going to take to get empowered so that you take action because it's the action you take today that will make a better tomorrow so that's that would be my closing message as always sam this has been a fascinating discussion uh you know we went from SEC right into you know major philosophy and, and bring it back down into what we can do today. Uh, so thank you so much for watching us. Hit the subscribe button. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Uncharted Territory podcast.